Welcome back to the Drum Network podcast, everybody. I'm the editor of the Drum Network and senior reporter for the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. This episode is a follow-up to one of our most successful and popular episodes, talking about how you keep the spark as you grow your own business. So to discuss everything related to ensuring that you stay true to your core values, to ensuring that your entire workforce is aligned with those core values, I am joined by Nick Redding, who is the MD and co-owner at Redico, Natalie Ackerman, who is EVP of Talent and Inclusion at Jack Morton, and Luke Smith, who is the founder and CEO at Crowd. So without further ado, I asked them all to explain how they came to be in charge of ensuring that they keep that spark as they scale. Nick, I wondered if you could begin by giving us a sort of a, a brief history almost of, of your kind of what the growth story has been for you. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm um, MD of a company called Redico. Um, we've been going about eight years now and we are approaching 40 people um, in terms of nice. the, the team based in the UK. Um, it very much started out in the early days with just myself and, and my brother um, and it's just kind of grown um, over the last few years. Probably... Um, accelerated more in in the last two or three years um and i think yeah it's um onwards and upwards to to, to 50 plus people i think um over the next probably 12 months nice that's fantastic that's a huge amount of growth and sort of natalie from your perspective then how does that mirror your own growth story where did you you know where did you begin where you are now well, it goes back uh, for jack morton worldwide 82 years so wow. <laughs> uh, we I started um, in the east coast of the U.S. and throughout that 82 years, we, we've we've only had three CEOs during that amount of time. So it has still felt very organic, very um, supportive, and mm. um, you know the, the team has grown internationally, obviously, and we are part of uh, the Interpublic Group as as a holding company. So we are now 550 people across uh, multiple countries. Um, and though we're a global agency, I think part of the, the beauty of it is feeling quite local mm. and supporting that um, sense of cu- culture and um, uh, nuance of being, uh, being in all of these different regions. Nice. I mean, I, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed that you managed to get 82 years of history into a, kind of a very short space of time there. So thank you for that. And Luke, uh, same question to you then, sort of, what's what's crowd story from beginning to where it is now? Sure. Uh, I just have to ask the question. Did, Natalie, did you say three CEOs in 82 years? Yeah. That's madness. Yeah. It's, uh, so it started with Jack Morton and it went to his son and our current CEO is Josh McCall. And they have transitioned along the way and it's it's felt very consistent and the values mm-hmm. will come to that, um, feel consistent throughout. So that's that's just staggering. I mean, <laughs> and may, and may, I mean, there, there must be some sort of world record in that. But, so. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll I'll look into that as we go along. And Luke, what's the kind of? Obviously, you don't have eighty-two years under your belt quite yet. But what's <laughs> what's your growth story? It sometimes feels that way, but uh, no, we are um, we're actually just ten years, and we're, we're, we've got a big thing at the moment around crowd at ten. Uh, Two hundred and fifty people now. Um, a digital marketing business. I mean, we're, we call ourselves for full service now. Um, offices in London, New York, Sydney, and of course, Shrewsbury. Um, you know, most people should have an office in Shrewsbury. Of course. Um, we, uh, yeah, look, you know, we, we, we set out to sort of reinvent how digital marketing was delivered by agencies uh, by combining uh, in house talent. So we've got 250 of the best 
people in the business, shareholders, and we'll talk a bit about that later. Um, what we call our Crowdy Network, so that's about 2,500 uh, effectively freelancers working for us uh, from the cloud, you know, remotely distributed all around the world, um, all underpinned by a, a piece of technology. So all the work that they do and we do within the, the agency is delivered through our, our proprietary technology crowd control. Very nice. Um, so I'm delighted that we've got the three of you on to discuss keeping the spark as you scale because you do have such different backgrounds, different sizes, and very different histories. But the one thing that I think unites every single person who's working in the marketing industry is that relentless focus on keeping true to a vision, you know, through all the hardships, through all the challenges. So Nick, I suppose then you, you mentioned that you kind of founded it with your brother, just the two of you. What was that kind of central driving vision that you had at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so uh, I probably should have mentioned at the start that, that Redigo kind of specializes in um, search engine optimization. It's kind of um, where I guess me and my brother sort of learned, um, learned our craft as it, as it was before um, before we decided to go off and, and, and start Redigo. And I think for us individually, it was it would always been kind of driven by the fact that we would knew one day that we would start um, start our own business, run our own business. Um, just happened to be that we kind of both went down um, the same path in terms of digital marketing, and kind of made sense at that point to kind of say, you know, you know what, like um, individually in our lives at, at that point, we didn't have huge commitments, and we just kind of wanted to see, um, let's just go go for it and, and see what happens. And we kind of started off with just. Um, two of us in the very early days and just built the client base, built um, built the team over time, really. Um, haven't taken kind of on um, any outside investment during that time. It's mm. just been natural growth and just reinvestment into into business, into the people, into the culture. Um, and that's just helped grow and attract the right, the right people. Nice. And when you say, you know, keeping that culture consistent as well, is that very much something that you and your brother are still hands on with? You're, you're still making sure that kind of that initial, the initial reasons why you began the business on your own terms is, is still excellent. It's still, you know, continuing. Yeah, I mean, culture is such a, um, a fascinating topic of discussion, not just um, externally within the, the agency world, but for us internally. I think we made a lot of mistakes in the early days, um, mm. assumptions around what culture was versus what it really is. Um, and we kind of looked at it as more of the uh, social side, uh, uh, the having the table tennis in, in the office, that kind of approach. And as we evolved and got to around 10 to 12 people we started to have some challenges with um our culture we had um yeah. internal MP internal mps score at that time and i think we had three or four detractors out of a team of 12 and, and three of us were di directors so mm. there, there, was, there was definitely some, some issues there that we had to kind of step back and look at and go actually how do we want to run the business what do we want it to look like and we created what we had at the time as our manifesto of like our vision and our way going forward and it's very much based around like treating people like adults and having adult to adult conversations, moving away from traditional levels of hierarchy, a traditional sort of um, top-down uh, approach where I guess power is concentrated in, in a few decision makers and trying to push that out to the edge of the, um, the organization. And I think the, the challenge that we had at the time is that we were very much um, involved in day-to-day in -day client work and we would step out of that time and look at what we could do to the business and we'd make promises to the rest of the team and then we'd get pulled back into to client work and we just wouldn't be able to deliver on that. Giving someone the ownership of, of moving those things forward in, in the business was definitely the catalyst for us moving in the right direction. 
See, that's uh, you, you've mentioned so much there that we can pick up on later in the discussion. That I mean, there's so many individual strands we can pull out there. But Natalie, from your perspective, 82 years is such a long time, and I'm delighted that you mentioned that uh, continuity aspect of it about kind of the, the gradually changing culture, then getting people bought in, even as they become you know one of this very small number of actual CEOs. So, to what extent is is Jack Morton's vision still what it was 82 years ago at the time of the founding? It's, it's actually very consistent in terms of the values of our founder, Jack Morton, are still very relevant today. So we have three core values, the passion, agility, and respect, and they've been sort of constant tenets um, through the organization, through our development as an agency. Mm. Um, and what's interesting is I think we've, we've evolved and built on them, but held them core. So for example inclusion and belonging are woven much closer into those tenets now Mm. um, because we listen to what our employees are asking for, what they want in a workplace, what they want to do in an agency and hearing what they, hearing their desires, listening to them, acting on them and still keeping cohesive in terms of our core is, is really important. Um, So, employee recognition um we've just i I love that this is called uh keeping the spark because for me spark is what keeps people interested Mm. um we have just gone through this process of of re-looking at our employee value proposition and and building on it and keeping people engaged because that's all you ever want we want people to come into an office or not come into an office as the case (laughs) may be um but feel that they're supported and one thing we've said um from very long ago, and, and it, it may be the words of Jack Morton, is that we take care of each other as much as we take care of the business. And that's that's critical to the development of our culture. And so whose responsibility is it then to ensure that you know you are actually adding on to those values rather than just completely shifting away from them? You mentioned that you know, diversity inclusion there is kind of being built on this framework of those initial original values. Is that coming directly from the employees or is that something that you're looking at kind of the wider society and saying, well, this is where we should be? It's a little bit of both. Uh, we we are not super hierarchical, but um, it, we're very consistent in what Josh McCall as the CEO and myself as the head of talent and inclusion espouse. We're very authentic and pers- purposeful in terms mm. of um, looking after people the way we want them to look after each other. And we make sure that as we bring people into the organization that we provide a comprehensive onboarding so that not just staff but freelancers as well understand what we stand for, that they understand our uh, our goals, uh, our behaviors, what we expect of them, um, the values that we expect them to bring, um, and, and it sort of cascades all the way through the organization. Mm. It's everybody's uh, responsibility. That's a really nice way of putting it, I think, and Luke, 10 years, 250 mm. people now. Mm. Is there a danger, was there ever a danger that you would lose track of what the initial spark was during the course of that growing, you know, as you sort of had to take on, had to wear many different hats and, you know, as, as the kind of the business grew beyond what it was originally, was there ever a danger that it sort of became rote, that it just became our job rather than kind of really keeping that, that passion that, that ultimately launched Crowd to begin with? Um, 
I think there was always that danger and it's something that we think about a lot because we are 10 years old and if you're one of the 250 people on the edge of the business or maybe not mm. working closely with the, the, the core management teams, you might not get the sense every day of that kind of startup mentality that we that we sort of injected into the business at the start. You know, when you're 10 people in a room, it's a lot easier to uh, engage with every every human being in the business. But I guess the principles that we always had at the heart of our business remain. So we always set out to make every employee of the business a shareholder. It's something we did from day one. Uh, we still do today. Now we're 250 people and we'll continue to do, uh, despite some uh, protestations from our private equity partners and it's a bit fiddly. But, you know, too bad, right? We, that's, that's what, that's what, that's what, that's what being crowd is all about, is being part of the mission uh, and being a, a shareholder in the, in the mission. But I guess that's only part of it. It's really kind of financial and, you know, ownership. Uh, there's a lot more around culture and putting people first within the organisation that I guess, you know, is easier to do when you're standing up in front of 10 people when you can't, for example, I can't sit, I've not seen anybody from our Sydney office for now, you know, nearly 24 months. Yeah. Uh, so how do we articulate that vision and ensure that people feel connected and feel part of, part of what we're trying to achieve and, and feel invested in and and that, that comes through like layers of communication, all hands updates, calls. Uh, you know, my Australian team will tell you I, I quite often forget that I've got a call at eight o'clock in the morning and re- just remember on my remember on my dog walk and, uh, and jump <laughs> on the call at, at the last minute because it's five past eight and so we say, "Where the hell are you?" So, but it's about being available, being around, and, and just engaging with everyone in the business in some way, shape, or form, and offering people the the ability to engage with you, whether it's through Q&A or, or, or you know, just transparent practice. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's fascinating as well, this, this idea that you, you know, as, as you grow, you have to kind of, you're, you're still very hands-on with those meetings and everything. So which leads very neatly onto kind of my next question, which is, um, as, you, as you grow, as you scale, you inevitably have to bring on more talent. You get people in, you know, I'm sure that they're people who you love to work with. But ultimately, whose responsibility is it then as you grow to ensure that, A, the company doesn't lose its, its relentless focus on what was you know, most important to it at the beginning? And how do you then ensure that no individual employee is doing something like that? Natalie, I'm sure that uh, given your job title, that you actually have some, some practical advice on how to make sure that kind of employees as a whole are sort of brought along with that mission. For us, uh, it's all about that consistent communication and as we talked about a little bit, is it's that listening to people as well and iterating on the message. But um, we make sure that we have opportunities for interaction with everybody, um, not just at global town halls, but at smaller gatherings so that we are able to uh, focus our message on, on smaller groups of people so they understand that this cascades all the way through the organization. Mm. Um, Inclusion is, is so important and we, we are very focused on um, sharing with people what our goals are, where we are at, and, and quite transparent about it because I think it's um, authenticity is, is something that people are looking for in their organizations, in their leadership, and if we are not authentic and transparent about this, that then um, 
they don't feel like we're all moving along in the same direction altogether. So it, that's, uh, that's one of those learnings, I think, that um, we have to be very present, very um, agile, which is one of our, our values, mm. um, and, and sharing, sharing these from the very moment that we engage with them, even before they become a member of staff. Uh, that's really interesting. This idea that you have to sort of lead from the front, then I suppose, if you're in a kind of a senior member of that team. So, Nick, how are you and your brother doing that effectively? I'm sure that the two of you are deeply invested in making sure that all the all the employees are brought along on that mission as well. So, how are you actually? What practical steps are you taking to ensure that everybody is remaining true to kind of those those core values of whether that's agility or you know whether that's something else? Yeah, I think I just start by kind of echoing. Um, what Nancy said really in terms of um, it's kind of like leading, leading by example um, and yeah. in that way that's, that comes from how um, the sort of the senior more experienced members of the team adhere and, and hold each other to account um, to those values but I think um, just taking a step back on, on the question I think one of the challenges for us was actually um, not necessarily to sh- ensure people don't go against it but it's just to in- ensure people um, kind of fully understood like and had that frame of of reference of what our core values were Uh, and I think that's been one of the biggest challenges for us and we've gone through a couple of exercises and uh, over the years in terms of like redefining um, our values because those have have Mm. changed since um, when we first started out to to where we are now and I think the biggest thing is kind of just simplifying those um bringing those down and getting the team to engage in that defining um those core values um together i think that's an exercise that that we've gone through i think some of the challenges that we had at the start um was that they that they weren't front of mind i think that was we were starting to roll out along with these culture uh, changes around like transparency and and openness whether that's sharing pnls or introducing 360s and making 360s open um all those kinds of things but i think one of the the issues that that we had was just that alignment to to core values um and we tried lots of different things in terms of making them more visible but we came to the realization that actually um it was the core values themselves that were were the issue and so we had to step back and kind of redefine that in a more um integrated approach with the team um so that um we, we reduced the number we simplified um the statements and aligned them to to behaviors um and i think that's for us is kind of um the key to to bringing them into to the agency um and i i believe that you can't really adopt core values so um mm. you, you kind of have a a set of core values that, that you believe in and as part of the recruitment process, your your objection is to kind of identify people that, that share the same common values that, as you do as a group and that's why not everyone kind of fits in um, to, to every company um, and different companies have different approaches which mean they're more aligned to, to certain individuals than, than others. So we try and identify like alignment against um, core values um, during the recruitment process but also during the probation process. So we have like a six-month probation process where part of that is aligning people to um, or integrating people into the way that we work but seeing if it's right as part of a two-way relationship um, a lot of what we structure the company is based on a self self-managed model so people kind of take responsibility for for their own actions their, their own results and we don't have managers um, mm. so 
that there's elements of that that is an adjustment period, um, but also sometimes that that might not be right for people. So um, I think for us, it's kind of identifying in the early stages, um, leading by example by adhering to them, but more importantly, just making sure that they um, are clear. I mean, you can put them up on on the walls and you can put them up in documents and all those kinds of things which we did in the past but it's actually um if they don't mean something if they don't represent what those group of individuals believe in or stand for yeah then it doesn't really mean anything and they're just not worth the kind of um paper that they're written on and so that was kind of a, a big learning uh, exercise for us yeah certainly they just they just become kind of meaningless buzzwords to have on the wall rather yeah. than actually something that you can then take as a tangible kind of uh, path forward, I suppose. So Natalie and Luke, uh, I, Nick's brought up something really interesting there, which is how do you track that alignment to that central vision? You can do it on a kind of case-by-case basis in terms of talent and inclusion, I suppose. But how do you actually make sure that you are tracking the fact that you are staying true to those core values in a very practical way? I was going to add on to that because I, I thought that point was really important is making sure that this is brought into all of our touch points throughout the employee life cycle. So um, that it, it's it's inherent there, as I say, in the recruitment side, in the onboarding side of things, in your three-month touch point, in your six-month touch point. When we look at reviews, it's, 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 it's integral to everything that we do, and that consistency has to be there. Um, so we are evaluating all of our systems as well to make sure that um, it's 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 this red thread that goes throughout, and it's um, and it's very clear that as a manager, as an employee, that these are what we're talking about, and there are nuances to them, but this is this is the the core. I think you've just given me the title of this episode there with the red thread. So thank you very much for that. Um, Luke, what would you say is kind of, you know, building on what uh, what we've said over the past couple of minutes, then what would you say is the best way to ensure that you are staying true to that, you know, and really measuring it almost? Yeah, so I think, you know, we all talk a lot about data measurement. We're a data measurement business. So, you know, we do track employee NPS. We have, you know, uh, we have scores against our um our values of, you know, passion, imagination, integrity. But ultimately, like, you can track everything you like. It's about really holding a mirror up to what you see as important and ensuring, you know, and and asking anecdotally how people are feeling, um, how people are engaging with your business. Um, I think, you know, Nick actually makes some really good points around setting your stall out as as, as the culture that you want to be. And it's funny, actually, Nick and I have spent a bit of time before together before. And, uh, you know, I, I actually looked at Nick's website and I love some of the stuff, some of the sentiment on there that's very different than our culture around. It talks about, um, you know, this is a very grown up culture. There's no mollycoddling, no managers, self-starters, which is quite different than, say, what we're trying to do, which is probably grow a lot more sort of junior talent into certain roles. So I think there's a really interesting you know, you can have lots of different ways of doing this and having a great culture and they don't all have to be the same and they don't all all have to identify with the same sort of buzzwords. But I think, you know, overall, it's it's setting that stall out. It's uh, identifying those three or four areas that you really care about from an employee engagement, development um, and, 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 and kind of happiness perspective uh, and, and tracking it both 
numerically, but also anecdotally, and then, mm. and then going, you know, asking the questions yourselves. And I think what's really interesting, I'm sure we'll come on to this, is how how this has all shifted, right? The way we view, we and, uh, you know, everybody in the workplace now views engagement and culture in this sort of post-COVID world. Mm. Can, can I just add to that, if possible? Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think it's some really interesting um, uh, points and, and conversations. And I think um, one of the things that um, I've just kind of seen transition over the last few years is, is mit- like moving away from this, this thinking that like culture is, is, is like binary and, and it's like you either um, have worked it out or, or you haven't or that you have the right culture or, or that you don't. Um, and, and I think for me, it's very much like different companies have, have different cultures and some people better align to those. But what worked for us might not work for someone else and, and vice versa. Um, there's, there's discussions often about like their four-day work week versus um, unlimited holiday and those kinds of things and it's, it's always very much like um, which one is the right one and, it, and the, the real the real question there is like which one's right for, for you and, and your company and your culture if that's something that you want to to explore um, and I think there's definitely something that that I've learned over the years and some of the things that, that we've tested is, is that it's kind of looking at um, where you want to go and and a lot of companies now um, a lot of agencies are very much people first and I think that is a um, even post-COVID even more like that's a, a really strong step forward and, and Luke touched on um, earlier about kind of the, the shares and the investment that the team had and staying strong to that against kind of um, maybe some uh, questions from from um, from PE and I, and I think that's where I see a lot of the conversations around culture and moving to is kind of that that support um, that uh, discussions around like mental health or having services in, in place that that's just that I think culture's moved on to to, to a higher level and, and encompasses a, a wider range of, of elements that I mean, it ever has done and I think that's just going to make better stronger companies mm. um, and I think I, all for that no absolutely definitely and I would love to get Natalie's take on that actually because obviously the, the title is kind of keeping the spark as you scale there I wondered how, you know, 82 years is a long time. There's been an awful lot of growth in that time. But how have you, Nathalie, what's been your sort of take then on what, on what Nick has seen in, in your, you know, your time in the industry? Yeah. Well, one thing is I've, uh, we have, we have, we're very proud of the tenure of a lot of the people within the agency. I've been here 18 years. Wow. And if it wasn't for this sense of culture and community, I, I'm sure I, I wouldn't still be here Mm. so i go back to that keeping that spark in the essence but um, as we listen to new people as we bring them into the agency and and there are you know we are a diverse culture um we have to we have to understand their values may Mm. be different and what their interpretation of our of our core tenets might be so as as diversity and inclusion has become um, more and more important, we've had it as a strategic priority for a long time, but messaging those and understanding the, the value of those to, to our um, employees is, is huge. But um, the value that they're now bringing in are things like community, um, flexibility, as you just talked about, ESG. Uh, what are we doing about climate change? Mm. All of these, all of these nuances, um, are areas that we have to sort of evolve and tweak 
to to stay current and relevant and and um, uh, and enticing for people, so that they understand that we're moving along with the world and we're not stagnating because because 82 years also has history associated with it, and we need yeah. to break down some of those inherent, perhaps perceived. Um, injustices that we may have been carrying. So we have to look forward and really move the industry and our organization into the future and what's what's important to our people. I think that's very laudable. That's that can't be an easy conversation to have internally. It's it's something that we have to constantly talk about and it feels slow, but as we look back, I can see that we are making huge strides. Mm. And um and I would just tell people that as long as you are consistent with your plans to move things forward and evolve, um, and it might feel like you're, you're kind of getting stuck in things, but as you look back, uh, there is value and re- reward in seeing how, how you've moved as an agency. Nice. Fantastic. And, and Luke, I got a, uh, a yelling app when I was putting some of the questions together because I, you know, I mentioned the fact that typically we find that younger entrants into the space are the ones who prioritize values over what you know would traditionally have kind of been monetary gain as their, as their primary focus. And I was actually told, no, no, it's not just younger people. It's a kind of generational thing. It's not just based on age. It's purely based on kind of the, the society that we're living in now as well. So to what extent then are you undergoing the same process as Natalie and making sure that, you know, 10 years down the line, you are making uh, kind of crowd a, a very habitable and desirable place for kind of those, the, the new generation of talent to, to want to work and to aspire to those values as well? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. Uh, I re- the word that I, it's a bit of a buzzword, but a word I really like that, um, that Natalie uses is authentic, mm. like being authentic to your roots and your you know, beliefs and your values is is so important. You can't just say it. You've got to live it and breathe it. And yeah, people want the know, receipts and, now and and live it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so so I think just on the question of um, <laughs> of the new generation, or you know, as you say, it's not just young people. It's a societal shift. But uh, I think some of the real, you know, we've had loads of realizations over the last twelve eighteen months. One is I think I've realised I'm I'm now officially old. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, much as I think I'm still, you know, down with how. <laughs> uh, younger I think you used the phrase me. down with young people, and that, that has yeah, automatically exactly. invalidated that. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, get, get, get over it, Grandad. Um, so uh, I think, you know, we're, we're you know, there, there's a whole shift, like you say, in the belief system of how people want to uh, engage with companies. We've, we're on a big recruitment drive at the moment, you know tens of tens of open jobs and it's amazing what is you know we, we also ran a grad day the other day and some of the feedback on what was important to graduates these days compared to even like uh probably millennials when we were hiring people eight nine ten years ago is, mm. is very different and much of it is uh, you know as, as as natalie points out around um you know, it, it's about values rather than not always just being about the best package or remuneration. It's about uh, experiences rather than mm. who's going to give me the most money, who's going to give me the ability to experience other countries because maybe you're more fl- – somebody was talking to me yesterday about people are being in a company being offered, uh, you know, their annual leave plus a similar amount of time where you can work from anywhere. Oh, my God, um, I want it. I want it now. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Kill that. No, no. no, no. But <laughs> in reality, you know, because 
who knows where that ends up. But but I know I think Google are doing that. But mm. so so it's about you've got to, you've got to shift your thinking and listen to your audience. Um, you know, I, I would imagine you you guys are both also feeling the pressure of recruit if you're growing recruitment and um, you know it's it's a seller's market at the moment. There's there's more demand than supply of of great talent. So you've got to rearticulate your visions in a, in a world in a way that. Uh, engages new new audiences. I, I'm not sure. Just saying, oh, well, you get loads of shares, and it's a great it's great fun. And the beer fridge is open on a you know Friday Thursday afternoon. Appeals to still appeals to a lot of people, but but there are other you know uh, more important things that we also need to be thinking around society and as we talked about um, diversity and inclusion, what we're doing with regards uh, the environment that sort of thing. Thanks, fantastic. And Nick, how does that actually work? How does that play out in the kind of SEO space as well? Where I imagine that, I mean, just the, the speed with which everything changes there does attract people who are younger, as Luke said, it is a seller's market almost. Yeah, I mean, it's such a really interesting point that, that Luke raised. Like, recruitment has always been a challenge for, for us. Um, being, being, a, um, being a specialist, um, as in SEO, is just just the only, uh, just what we do uh, as our core our core function. Like, we, we have a a high level entry bar in terms of uh, the um, experience that, that someone would, would need to, to join. And sometimes it doesn't match with perhaps where their, their, their roles and their experience are from, from previous agencies. So you bring in that challenge. We, we then have the added challenge of our, our culture is a little bit different based on um, self, self-responsibility. There's a lot of transparency, a lot of individual accountability. So we do have things like um, unlimited holiday, although it's, we call it self-regulated in kind of line with like wow. self-management. We've had that for um, two or three years now. People have mm. been able to work from, from home. People can work when they want so we don't have fixed hours um, and we don't have fixed days. Um, it's really kind of trying to shift the, the thinking from, from input to, to output um, and uh, focus on, on deliverables rather than like hours or, or, or minutes um, spent. Um, I think for us that given the fact that we are single um, like single product or, or single channel, um, that collaboration um, uh, when you're working on, on, on clients or on SEO projects it may only be sort of two or three people. Whereas if you're in an agency that's more delivering from a full service point of view, that collaboration after happens between um, a larger group of, of teams or, or, or channels. And therefore that flexibility can present its own challenges if you don't know when certain members are in and that kind of stuff. So um, I think again, mm-hmm. just touching on what I said earlier, it kind of it's what works for you and what you've got set up. But I know other people have core working hours where everyone works from 10 to 3 so they know when people are in but then outside of that people can work um, when they want and we've um, we've had a couple of people that have now moved abroad and they still um, they still work for us we have people that work different hours some work a little bit over the weekend and have uh, the week the weekday off um, some work later in the evening the work around like childcare and school runs and, and all that kind of thing and I think that that's definitely helped us the policies that we've introduced over the last three or four years um, has definitely helped us attract a more um, diverse set of, of people in, in the team which again brings different welcomed perspectives to, to help us grow um, grow further. We've looked at defining the, the brass tacks if you, if you will mm. of what it means to work at this agency and what it gives to individuals who come. And once you've, once you've been able to define those tenets, 
and understand that there's no one size fits all. This is going to uh, flex between offices, maybe between departments, across geographies. But once you've defined those and you hold those true, um, that that's the core and the springboard to be able to articulate it, to bring people in, to rally around. And that's, that's where you can emphasize the spark, where you can mm. really say to people, you know, this is what it's all about. And people come for, we work so hard. It's all consuming and we, we have very high expectations of everyone within the industry. So making sure that there's something more to work than just the work mm. and feeling supported and driven and seeing a career path, all of those things, if they come back to those brass tacks, is um, having those is key. Nice. Absolutely. You know, my core sort of like just life belief is is, is one of doing right by people. And, you know, that plays out through most of, you know, the, the, the values we have and doing right by our team and making sure everybody's engaged and supportive within the organization. So I think, you know, in terms of a piece of practical advice, is like just hold a mirror up to yourself mm. and your senior management teams. As you grow, do you care as much as you used to? Have you hired some people who maybe aren't as true to those core beliefs? Uh, and are you either molding those people or mitigating for them? You can't all be the same gang of 10 people you were in a startup office 10 years ago. And, and, and character types and culturally, people will be different and the business will evolve. But, you know, what are your, the question would be, what are your core beliefs now, your core uh, values? And are you, rep are you representing them, you and your senior management team? And are your teams feeling that, right? And then, yes. Nick, obviously, as a final word, you, you, and your, you and your brother grew this business. What have been some of those very practical concerns that you, you'd like to pass on to anybody who's listening? Yeah, so, so I think in the early days, we were just kind of like um, just grow and build and, and get clients on and, and survive, which I think a lot of people are. Um, yeah. I, I think um, getting clear on your, your vision, your mission, your purpose, um, your, and then your, your values. Um, and when we did our second version on our values, um, one of the things that we really looked at is like what values mean. Um, and I see like there's a great video from Simon Sinek on like um, verbs or uh, our values or our values should be verbs. Um, and you, you see values written on the wall, things like honesty. And it's like, okay, well, how do, how do I do honesty? Um, what, does, mm. what does that mean? And I think one of the key things that we were conscious of with redefining our values is making sure they were um, action orientated um, and mm. so that people could understand what that meant. Because if you show someone, well, how do you be more honest? And it's like, well, that's really open to um, interpretation. Whereas if you have a value that's always tell the truth, um, that's a slightly different um, interpretation to just being honest. So I, I think um, that, that that work and that, that piece on, on defining the values, that kind of starts everything else off. Because once you've got that, it's then, well, how do you then live and, and breathe the values? And, and part of that is actually you will find that it's much easier to live and breathe them when everyone's clear and they feel but they just feel aligned to what everyone else feels in, in the agency. And that was kind of one of the biggest shifts. Then you can integrate them into different parts. So um, recruitment process, probation, onboarding, um, all of our values are, um, we do 360 reviews and our 360 reviews are um, against the, the values and they're open. So anyone else can see anyone else's 360 um, review. Um, and that helps kind of 
us all hold each other to account um, and I get 360 reviews where where people um, give me direct feedback where perhaps um, I haven't done something that, that I should have should, should have done and, and so that's that level uh, of accountability um, and if you can move to an organization where you create that psychological safety where people feel that they can give you direct feedback and, and hold you hold you to account both ways um, that creates for a much a much stronger working um, stronger working culture kind of going forward Nick nice. I love that um, sorry to interrupt, Nick. I, I love what you just said because encouraging that feedback, good, bad, and different, but having honest conversations and not being afraid of hearing it yeah. is really important to to, to moving things forward. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what, one of the things that I, I was going to say is like cl closing the loop on feedback. So we do. Um, uh, internal NPS and we also do something called a temperature check which is a little bit more of a detailed survey every couple of months based on how we're feeling and I think one of the things that we've learned over the years was just if people give that feedback just make sure it's clear that it's actions and it's been taken like either way like you take that feedback on board and it's not something that you can't do yet then you just communicate that because um, I think one of the things that we again lessons learned that, that we had in the early days was taking feedback and, and probably not being as clear as vocal on things that have changed or why we couldn't change certain things. And so people felt that they were giving feedback, but it wasn't being, um, it wasn't being honored or, or followed through. And, and so like, how do we get a better way of, of closing them? And some of the best changes that we've got in the agency and also at a personal level with people giving me 360 reviews and, and saying like, um, this is an area where I think you could uh, better align against our values. Um, and, and so that kind of feedback at a personal level is invaluable, but the, the feedback that we get from an NPS and also the temperature check surveys that, that we do as a business in general to, to highlight issues in the business, I think has meant that we can get ahead and address some of those before they get to the point where people feel frustrated or feel they're not being listened to and then eventually kind of move on. So the earlier you can get out and address some of those and communicate what you're doing, um, the, the better trust that you can get from the team that those things will get will get changed. And there's a balance in terms of what can be done, when, etc., all that kind of things. But um, I think it's the communication part that's important. Yeah, I, I I just wanted to reinforce it because I think that's so important. Um, encouraging the feedback, hearing from people, and and then um, as you say, closing the loop, being honest about where you're at. Can we fix it right now? Maybe not, but we're working on it, and that that leads to a um, my hands are doing like circular movements, self fulfilling. <laughs> um, just. It's it's open. It's honest. It's it shows that we're listening and um, we value yeah. the people that are, are are within our cultures, and and that's the key to keep, to keeping people engaged. And for me, it's it's helping move that relationship and um, from adult to child, which often exists in, in many top down organisations where you have a manager kind of tell you what to do, and and that, and that feedback process is, is very much adult to child relationship to that. Um, adult-to-adult -adult relationship where you take accountability, you give that feedback, you're, um, you're becoming okay with difficult conversations or um, expressing challenges or, or conflict. And that's kind of the place that, that, that we want to, um, to move to. But um, we don't get it right. We, we make mistakes and we're still learning a lot of this stuff. Um, kind of keep moving towards a place where people can feel they're psychologically safe. We have new members of the team joining, which they take 
there's a transition period between feeling that it's okay if they want to take an hour and a half off at, at lunch um, because previous agencies or mm. previous companies, they would be asked every half an hour like where they are and what they're doing. And so like even that one small thing where you move into a company which doesn't yeah. regulate hours in, in that way is a big challenge, plus all the other stuff in terms of transparency and no managers and self-accountability, those kind of things. So for us, a lot of the six-month probation period is, is helping people tra- transition. So for us, it's always that ongoing learning as to how can we um, improve and on- onboard people better. Nice, fantastic. And and Luke, I'll give you the final word if you've got anything to add. Yeah, no, I, I think um very good point there around that uh, safety of it being able to do stuff. And some of that comes from leading by example. So I purposefully, like, will go out for a run and stick it on Strava at lunchtime on certain days. And I do it just to encourage other people to do it, particularly while mm. we've been through lockdown and stuff. Um, so I, I think that's really important. And, I, you know, I love the, you know, and I am a real believer in, you know, getting that feedback, getting that personal feedback, getting that feedback. Sometimes I find it hard to get, uh, and maybe that's a reflection on on who, who I am or whatever else. But yeah, I think it's really important to ask for it. Um, I guess the question is, are you getting the, you know, it's to question whether you're getting the real undiluted truth uh, off the back of it. So that's what I uh, spend my time doing is just to, you know, asking the people who I know who will give me the, most sort of challenging answers. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, yeah. Nick, Natalie, and Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with us. I know we could have continued for hours. We could have gone down any one of the conversational paths that we chose not to take. But I know that your thoughts and advice will will actually propel some of our, our listeners to kind of their own thinking around this. Um, just as a very final question, I wondered if, you know, I could ask you to share where the listeners could find you, whether that's your company website, whether that's your LinkedIn, where's the best place for anybody who wants to pick your brains on this to reach out to you? So Nick? Um, yeah, um, uh, LinkedIn personally. Um, but I, I would say if you go to uk slash handbook, that's, that's, we've literally just launched that and made that live. It's our, um, it's our own internal handbook, kind of transparent on, on how we run the company and the way that we approach things. So I think that would give a good overview of, uh, of who, who we are, what we do, um, and kind of the, the, the progression or transition that we've kind of made. Fantastic. And Natalie? First point of call would be our website, jackmorton.com. Otherwise, reaching me on LinkedIn is, is always welcome and my door is always open to engage with people uh, wherever they are in the world. Nice. Fantastic. And Luke? Uh, yeah, similar. So uh, Luke at crowd.com, C-R-O-U-D. Uh, or, or, yeah, I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn. So Luke Smith, uh, you should be able to find me. And, and as Natalie says, you know, I'm more, more than happy to share any, any information I have about, you know, grow, growing a business. The one thing I would say is... Uh, share option schemes are messy. So if, if you are thinking about putting one in your business, uh, EMI schemes in the UK particularly, uh, if you are thinking about putting one in your business, I'm more than happy to give a few uh, pointers. They can be quite expensive. Uh, well, thanks for that. You might regret uh, offering to, to share that advice. But so Nick, Natalie and Luke, thank you so much for that. It's been really enlightening and I'm sure that the audience really appreciated that as well. Cheers. Thank you for having us. Thanks thank so. you.